Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday. Normally, not this week. Uh, yes, but new episodes come out every Wednesday. You can check them out. I do have to apologize, guys. I've been having some serious technical issues this week. Uh, my microphone was going crazy, making some ridiculous noises. Uh, probably going to have to send that off to get serviced. So we're using the backup microphone. Had to drive to get the backup microphone. Then we got the backup microphone. Started recording. Files get corrupted. I mean, it's just... It's like been one thing after another with my technical issues this week. So sincere apologies from me on not getting this episode up quicker. But like I said, there are just only so many things I can control when it comes to technology. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so join me normally here on Wednesdays. Click that subscribe button. You can also find me on Instagram. Go over there, check me out. Click that uh, follow button on Instagram. You can also join me there for Training Tip Tuesdays. Yes, on Instagram, we're doing Training Tip Tuesdays every single Tuesday, a brand new dog training tip over there. So go check it out. Click that subscribe button. If the visual thing is more your thing, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash speakadogcast. And if, they, if you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And for you listeners who are just loving the podcast, if you love what you're hearing, I'd really appreciate it. Do me a favor. Take a moment of your time. Scroll on down takes only a second click that five star rating for me spotify users apple podcasts would love to hear what you're thinking click that five stars leave me a review i would greatly appreciate it now on today's podcast puppies in a nutshell puppy power i don't know i'm just hearing like teenage mutant ninja turtles there for some reason (laughs) we're gonna do a puppies in a nutshell everything you need to know almost not quite there's too much there's too much to fit in one segment but a ton of puppy information in a nutshell for you in that segment there then comes back to basics dog psychology 101 you know and to me this is in a way an extension of that puppy um, segment because you've got to have the basics of psychology to understand how to train your dogs train your puppies so go check it out then comes the history of animal mascots 101 followed by the listener Q&A. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. You can message me on social media. Uh, You can check it out on, you can actually uh, message me on Spotify now. You can, or leave a comment rather on an episode. So feel free to drop a a question there for the listener Q&A. Your question might get featured on the show. Now, before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what types of animals are Timon and Pumbaa from Disney's The Lion King? A little more fun question. What types of animals are Timon and Pumbaa from Disney's The Lion King? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Puppies in a Nutshell. Puppy power? <laughs> Oh, that's a turtle shell. Sorry, <laughs> got a little confused there. All right, puppies in a nutshell. You ready for this? Hang on for it. We're going to try to go through most of the basic things you need to know about having a puppy as fast as we can. Puppies in a nutshell. You ready for it? I am. Housebreaking. That's the first thing we got to talk about, of course, because everybody wants to know how to housebreak your puppy. Guys, the first thing you need to know is you need to be leashing up your puppy when you take them outside. Do not leave them to their own devices. Do not leave them to their own accord. That is a big mistake. They'll get distracted. They're puppies. They don't know to be focused. They don't know what you want from them. They don't know they're supposed to go outside. It's not a natural thing for them to know to hold it inside versus outside. It's a taught, learned behavior. 
So let's get into it. Make sure you leash them up. Make sure you're taking them out, doing a nice little figure eight motion. You can say the word go pee. No problem with that as long as you're doing it consistently the same way and you're not saying it too much too often. I like to say one go pee and give them a good 30 seconds at least before you say it again. Again, I like to create making them go in circle, maybe figure eight motions to get them going into that pee mode, if you will, okay? Then once they do go pee, might want to refrain from saying good boy, good girl right away because sometimes they get distracted and stop peeing. Instead, wait till they're done peeing, say good boy, good girl, and immediately give them a treat. Do not wait till you get back inside. You must give the treat right there to connect the dots for them. Immediately give them a treat, make a big deal, tell them good boy, tell them good girl, give them affection, make it a great thing that they went outside. The only reason your dog chooses to go outside versus inside is they get some form of reinforcement for it, whether it's just smelling and peeing on something, and if we, we want to give them as much reinforcement as we can for going outside, okay? So a reward immediately. Now, if they don't go when you take them outside, you bring them back inside, they either have to go in the crate or be on a leash leashed up next to you. You do not want to miss them. We're human, guys. You can't be perfect. You're going to miss them. They're going to wander off, sniff, and pee. That's the last thing we want. If you see that nose go to the ground, this is why you have them leashed up next to you. If you see the nose go to the ground, immediately take them outside again. Rinse and repeat until they go. Very important. Very, very important, Okay. Another thing I want to mention is don't take your dog out every 20 minutes. It's a big no-no, big mistake. It's one thing if they were supposed to go, you know they need to go, then sure, wait 20 minutes, take them out, try again. But if they just went, you don't need to take them out again in 20 minutes, guys. Big mistake. Your dog will never learn to hold it, and all you're doing is teaching your dog to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes. Big mistake. Try to work it up. It doesn't matter how young your dog is. Try to push it, even if it's only 10 extra minutes. Try to push it more time by keeping an eye on them and being an active, responsible puppy owner. Next thing, limit the water intake. I don't want you starving your dogs of water. That is not what I'm saying. However, puppies do tend to overdrink. They will overdrink out of boredom. And I mean, when I say overdrink, they will drink a drink, a drink, a drink, a drink to the point that their pee will come out looking like water, not pee at all. Okay. One thing we actually don't want them to overhydrate. That can be a bad thing. Uh, but puppies will drink out of boredom. They get their bladder so full, they physically can't hold it. And they're going to pee whether you want them to or not. So limiting water intake, knowing that they've had enough and knowing when the last time they had it, that's why we want to pull the water so they can't sneak more from you. Control your dog's water intake is more what I'm saying, not limit. Yes, we want to limit so they're not over drinking, but don't limit it to an unsafe level. Make sure your dog is getting enough water and that they're staying hydrated. It's just more important that you know to take it away so you know when the last time they had it. And of course, there will be accidents, guys. Puppies have accidents. It's a natural part of housebreaking. Please don't be um, overly angry at them. It's going to happen. I'm telling you now, your puppy is going to have accidents. It's inevitable. It will happen. Get over it. If you don't want it, don't get a puppy. All right. <laughs> You've got to clean it up properly, though. Make sure you're using a proper cleaner. My favorite cleaner is uh, Nature's Miracle. There are a lot of good brands out there, but again, guys, it's got to be a cleaner that actually breaks down the smell and the scent of the urine. You might not be able to smell it, but your dog can. Windex is not going to cut it. Clorox is not going to cut it. Make sure you're using a proper cleaner when your dog does make mistakes. Next thing we want to talk about is crating. Should you be crating your dog as a puppy? Absolutely. Do not take your dog out of the crate. Oh my God, I want to rip my hair out with people that take their dogs out of the crate. Oh, well, he whined. Of course he whined. He's a puppy. Duh. This is called training, guys. If you don't train your dog to not whine, guess what the dog will do? 
whine and you take them out of the crate up you just reinforce the behavior now the dog literally thinks oh i'm supposed to whine and they let me out of my crate yay stop taking your dogs out of the crates it's making me nuts it's making me absolutely crazy guys this one really drives me insane would you take your baby out of the crib well he's a baby i don't want him in the crib no put your baby in a crib is he gonna be too well in a bed he could die in a bed put him in a freaking crib oh my god sorry this is one of my biggest pet peeves you must crate train your puppy guys there are so many reasons i cannot stress it enough if your dog is whining if your puppy's whining in the crate at night do you know what that means you didn't exercise your puppy enough your puppy has too much energy exercise your puppy more play with them more interact with them more stimulate their brain more get them tired then you won't have to worry about whining in the crate Haha. Now, <laughs> I have no problem using rewards when your dog goes in the crate. As a matter of fact, I want you to use a reward when your dog goes in the crate. Definitely want to use treats. Definitely want to associate it as a happy, fun place for them. No problems there. Uh, another question I get, can we use toys in the crate? The answer is yes and no. You need to know your puppy. You need to know your puppy's chewing habits. You need to know if they're going to shred things, eat things, because we do not want to be leaving toys in the crate that they could potentially choke on, that they could potentially eat. These are very, very important factors you need to consider. When your puppy's really, really little, you know what? It's a good time to pull out a Kong toy, fill it with some dog-safe peanut butter. Uh, quick disclaimer on xylitol. It is an artificial sweetener that's used in a lot of peanut butters, especially in the U.S. Please check the labels. Please make sure you're getting... Uh, peanut butter with regular sugar in it. Xylitol, it's spelled with an X. It can be fatal for dogs. Please, please be careful. Do your own reading, do your own research. Just throwing it out there for those of you using peanut butter in a Kong. But again, when a dog is really little, we can use a peanut butter in a Kong more safely because we can know it's a little dog. They can't get in there. They can't rip it. They can't shred it. Kongs are a good go-to toy for the crates. But I urge you to be cautious about leaving soft toys, toys of squeakers, those kind of things in a crate unattended with a puppy because we don't want them getting in trouble. Another thing to consider or blankets we all love to give our puppies our favorite blanket guys from experience i'm telling you please be careful you don't want your puppy to accidentally get a thread off the blanket and start swallowing the thread i know it can happen please be careful all right try to go after those dog safe beds dog friendly crate friendly beds very important thing to consider. All right. Uh, another thing, crating in the bedroom. My personal preference, guys, I like to put the crate when I have a puppy. I like the crate to be in the bedroom. It's sort of a little bit of a give and take. Look, puppy, like we can sleep together because we're a pack. You know, that's the other thing. They're pack animals. They want to do things as the pack. So I don't have a problem with your dog sleeping in the bedroom with you because to me, it's like, a, hey, we're the pack. We're going to sleep together. But you're going to be in your crate, you're going to have your space, and you're going to give me my space. There's a boundary, there's discipline, there's rules, there's structure to it. And that's why I'm a fan of the crate in the bedroom, as well as if there is whining, you can deal with it. Um, whether that's a little correction, guys, correct whining. Don't reinforce it, correct it. What we just talked about in the last segment today, punishment decreases a behavior. If you let the dog out when they want, well, David, maybe he had to go. Look, if your dog is 12 weeks and under, sure maybe they had to go. But if you've done your job and mm, I'm not, I'm not going to get into this 12 weeks and under, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Anything above 12 weeks, guys, your dog can hold it. I don't care how small they are with the exception of maybe like teacup. All right. Okay. We don't have to argue about this right now. Um, <laughs> crate in the bedroom. Don't have an issue with it. It's a give and take in my opinion. Toys in general. Let's talk about toys in general. Um, to me, guys, look, I can't give you the general, well, you shouldn't give a dog this type of toy until they're X amount old because every dog is a different size. Every dog is a different breed. Every dog is going to be a different chewer. And there is no exact age when you should or shouldn't start giving certain toys in general because every dog is different. 
Can't really tell you that. What I will tell you is, first of all, talk to your veterinarian, talk to your local trainer if you're working with somebody, because they're going to know your dog, your dog's size, breed, mouth, all that kind of stuff on what should be safe for them. My thing is just use plain common sense here, guys. Common sense. If the toy can fit in the dog's mouth easily, like those little tiny tennis balls, careful. You see stories where they get lodged in the back of their throat. It does happen. It can happen, and you got to be careful. Don't get toys that can be are small enough to get lodged in their throat. Don't get toys that are easily shreddable if your dog's an eater. Um, all of these things are very important to consider with the toys. Again, I am a fan of Kong. I am a fan of bully sticks. Uh, antlers can be good. Like You'll hear some... Some people tell you antlers aren't good. They get sharp. Sure, keep an eye on it. When it starts getting sharp, get rid of it. Like, you have to be an active dog parent, guys. I'm sorry. You can't just get a puppy and be oblivious. It's not going to work. It's exhausting. Having a puppy is exhausting. It's work. It's time. It's effort. You know? Anyway, uh, and another thing I'm a fan of is the Bark Boxes. I do like the Bark Boxes. I think they're phenomenal. These uh, subscription toy services, they're really great. Check them out. Uh, But again, just common sense and and you got to keep an eye on your dogs when they're chewing these toys guys it's that simple now walks at what age can you start walking your puppy look walks like a full-blown walk is different than teaching your dog basic leash work because basic leash work can start the second you get your dog the second the moment after all what did i say housebreaking you need to be leashing up your dog to take him out i don't care if you have a fenced backyard leash up your damn dog um i can't believe people even question this anymore it blows my mind expert is telling you leash up the dog maybe they might know i don't know call me crazy um walks leash work can begin early walks are going to wait a little bit because the other, one of the one thing you got to consider about walks more than anything is vaccinations guys your dog needs to be fully vaccinated before you're taking them out everywhere in public four months is usually about the age they have all their vaccinations by the third round some vets say you can start you know walking them a little more but it is it's something you have to take into consideration that up until about four months you really don't want to be walking them just everywhere you don't want to be going to the dog park yet you don't want to be doing certain things because you need you need your dog to be pro protected so let's consider that with the walks with that said guys anywhere between 10 and 12 weeks old we can start getting some really good leash work and getting walks down Riker my little buddy back here was walking phenomenally by 12 13 weeks old and we got him at 11 weeks within two weeks I had him walking great and he gave me some trouble at first he did and some dogs will and that's just you know he resisted a little it wasn't unsure he knew he had some comp we had to build some confidence with this dude a little bit um now he's like incredibly confident um anyway so walks can start at 10 to 12 weeks by 14 16 weeks old guys you'd be surprised some of your puppies might be able to go for a full hour with that said i'm talking about a walk i'm not talking about a full-on run we do need to be careful especially with larger breed dogs we don't want to run them too much uh until they're at least a year old sometimes it can be hard on the bones hard on the joints as they do tend to grow very very quickly and so putting a lot of pressure on a on a joint like that that's growing so fast can do damage so just be cautious. Now, how about what collars and leashes? Look, on a really little dog is one of my few exceptions for a harness. I still don't think you should really need a harness. I still think 99% of the time, even on little dogs, just get a regular old nylon collar and just be cautious and careful with it, guys. Certain breeds, certain sizes, of course, there's always exceptions. Don't get me wrong. But on the whole, a little nylon collar for a 10-week-old puppy going to do you just fine. All right. Riker was big enough that we could move him into a Martingale collar by about 12, 13 weeks old. You know, and he's not a big boy. He's only about 60 pounds full grown. He's not huge. Um, And so even by 12 weeks, 13 weeks old, he was in a Martingale collar. Guys, by 14 to 16 weeks, almost every single dog can be in a Martingale collar. 
You heard me. You heard it right. My chihuahua wears a martingale. Everybody can wear a martingale. All right. And a six foot nylon leash or a six foot leather leash is always my go-to. Stop using runaway leashes. Stop using extendable leashes. All you're doing is forfeiting control. I think they should be illegal. They're horrible. Cut it out. All right. <laughs> and the harnesses. No harnesses. Guys, I, how many studies are being done now? We're harness. They're actually finding. You ready for this? Harnesses are causing damage. To, to dog shoulders because these front clip harnesses literally pull the dog's shoulders in. And if you use them at a young age, they have developmental problems in their skeletons. Seriously, no joke. This is, I don't know why, like I've been screaming it from the rooftops. So have, so has every other professional in my field. Stop using harnesses on your dogs. It is not the right tool. I know, but David, Every sec, every every other dog has a harness on. Doesn't that mean it should? It's the right tool. So because every Joe Schmo has a harness on, that makes it right. Guys, this is one of those times I'm begging you to listen to the professional. This isn't just from a training standpoint. It can actually legitimately be from a health standpoint. Stop putting harnesses on your dogs. It's not the right tool. Stop it. Ugh. Sorry to be mean, but man. I've had it. It's just driving me crazy. Okay, and the very last puppy thing. When does training start? Immediately. Now. Yesterday. Start training your dogs. Guys, I, I'll never forget it. Years ago, I had uh, somebody who told me that their veterinarian said, you shouldn't do any training with your dog until they're at least six months old. And my question to her is, I said, does your vet recommend you don't housebreak your dog? She looked at me and goes, what do you mean? I said, housebreaking is a form of training. That's it literally is conditioning 101. It is psychology 101. It is training. Training your dog to be housebroken is training. So your vet's telling me we shouldn't housebreak your dog until they're at least six months old. I got to love the logic here. I mean, that's or the lack thereof. Guys, training starts immediately. It's just like a little kid, a tiny little kid. And one year, I mean, it's amazing how just getting past baby, you know, once the, once there's an actual like little human inside there. It's amazing how much kids take in and parents are oblivious to it. Well, there's, oh, you, oh, he's two. He has a heat, it's over his head. And I'm watching little Timmy just take it all in. You see the little wheels turning behind there. It's no different with your dogs, guys. Puppies are taking it in from day one. I don't care that your dog's only eight weeks old. Train him a sit. Teach him to sit, teach him to stay, teach him to wait for his food, teach him to wait from coming out of the crate instead of bolting out. These are all things, and again, I am bragging about my boy Riker back here, but I could also brag the same way about Penny Lane. I could also brag the same way about Colby Jack, about Violet, about all of my dogs that I raised from puppies. Guys, within two to three weeks, your dog should be, I don't care, ten, like eight weeks old, okay, fine. Nine weeks, mm, 10 by 10 weeks, guys, your dog should be able to sit, stay, I mean, not by 10 weeks. Starting at 10 weeks is when you can start this stuff without even a problem. Even eight weeks, you'd be the most. Uh, but 10 weeks is really realistically. Sit, stay, lie down, leave it, drop it. We can teach them to stop bolting out a front door, stop bolting out the crate, teach them to wait for their food, teach it to leave it command. This is a lot of things within a few weeks you could be teaching your dogs because people don't start training early enough. Now, amazingly, we're 16 minutes into the segment, and this was puppies in a nutshell. <laughs> Y'all see the problem? Puppies are a lot. <laughs> there were a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of knowledge, a lot of energy. They're just a lot. 
So before you go out and get that puppy, I highly recommend you listen to this segment again and really take in. That wasn't even all of it. That was the nutshell version of it. All right. So I hope that helps you out. Any of you puppy owners out there, get to work, get to training, use the right tools, have the right knowledge, and you'll have better success with your puppy and want to pull your hair out less. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At the Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Basics Dog Psych 101. Yes, it's very important to have an understanding of this. I always reiterate it. Look, guys, the, the greats always practice the basics, no matter what it is, no matter whether it be sports or um, even basic scientific research. You know, the greats always practice the basics because without the basics, you can't have building blocks from there to get to greatness. It's just that simple. Um, you know, you'll even find, and I'm going to do a golf reference because I love it so much. <laughs> you look at these pros on the range and a lot of them are doing the same exercises that we do. They're pulling out what the alignment sticks, because what is the one thing with golf? You absolutely must have to have a great swing, your alignment, your alignment to the ball, your setup. It must be great. And in order to have your setup be great, your alignment be great, you have to practice it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. And even the greats, even the pros, even the elites, they still go back on the range day of a tournament and they pull out the alignment stick, lie it down and work on their alignment. Um, it, it's it's something so incredible. You know, basketball, same thing. You got to go back to free throws. I was an Orlando Magic fan back in the day with Shaquille O'Neal. I wish he had practiced it more. It, clearly he didn't. <laughs> He was great at a lot of other things, and he definitely practiced those things. Free throws, I'll never forget. I think it was like a couple seasons in. He actually did practice in the offseason, and he got so much better, and the crowd just went nuts every time he made a free throw. It was hilarious. Anyway, but it goes to prove the point even more. You got to practice the basics. And so this, re, you know, this recurring segment of Back to Basics, and we talk about a lot of the very important details, the important basics of dog training. This is it, guys. Like next to the walk and almost before the walk, because you can't have a true understanding of what the walk is without dog psychology, without an understanding of how a dog learns, how a dog thinks. And for that matter, how every animal on this planet thinks. You know, I remember sitting in psychology, AP psychology class in high school. Um, Mr. Harsh, loved the guy. God, he was an amazing teacher. He retired, um, wow, uh, probably almost like eight years ago now. This guy worked 
40 something years in education, never called in sick once, never missed a day, not one single time in his entire teaching career. He has inspired, I don't even know, I mean, I can just think of a handful of people off the top of my head from high school that went into the psychology field because of this guy. I'm one of them even. That's why he's the first spark um, that really made me have an interest in psychology. And what I remember, what I'm taking, again, long story short, what I'm taking away from this, uh, from his class and from things he said, was how things tick. How we all tick. And how everything on this planet ticks the same way. We all do. And it's funny, even think about like the ticking and talking of a clock. It is a yin and a yang, an ebb and a flow. We have day, we have night. We have good, we have bad. And that is where psychology actually begins. It begins with a little bit of the uh, um, hippy-dippy, if you will. <laughs> but the funny thing is people think of this yin and yang and peace, man. You know, everybody thinks of these things as such philosophical, emotional things, when in reality, they are very much based in science. Again, we have morning, we have night. Do we not have science to explain the sun rising and the moon setting? Uh, well, the moon rises too. Sorry, sun setting, moon rising. Um, we have science to back it up. And so there is a science to this yin and yang of psychology, of learning, of, of creation, of destruction, of waking up, of going to sleep, of reinforcement and punishment. There it is. There's the connection. See, I did it. Uh, <laughs> like, David, you're talking about all this other crazy stuff. No, it all interrelates, guys. And that's the point. Right there, right there, there it is. We have reinforcement, we have punishment. This is where we begin today. Dog Psychology 101, it starts with Psychology 101. Every animal on this planet, every single one, I don't care what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it breathes like, does what it eats, doesn't matter. Every animal on this planet learns and takes information in the exact same way. Behavior is either going to be reinforced, strengthened, and increased, or it's going to be punished, weakened, and decrease. It's that simple. It's that simple. 14 years ago, uh, I married my wife, by the way, a little over. Happy anniversary, Jen. Uh, amazing. Really cool. We've been together 18 years now. And that's the 18 years ago, <laughs> she decided she liked me. <laughs> and 18 years ago, I decided I liked her. And what happened? The relationships, the relationship strengthened. The relationship grew. The relationship got reinforced and so the behaviors of of our of our wanting to be in a relationship therefore reinforced increased it's fascinating how you can take this stuff and you can apply it to literally anything in behavior and anything in how the world operates because it all same stuff however if jen had not liked me thank god she did had she not liked me or vice versa we would have been providing something called an aversive or fancy term punishment it's fancy word for punishment we'll get to that in a minute and I would have worked to avoid her. Now, there's plenty of people I met in college, plenty of girls. I definitely met in college that I worked to avoid. <laughs> and I'm sure I had the effect on other people too. That's just the way it goes, guys. You're not going to be friends with everybody. Um, but the point is, those relationships weakened, decreased. They were punished. Crazy. It's that simple. It's that simple. Okay? We think about a child. I'm going to give you another. I'm giving you all these examples. We're going to start with a handful of examples here. And then we're going to actually get into what technically is happening behind it because here's the thing you and i we all everybody we witness these things happening in the world every day you witness behaviors you witness a, a child being rewarded for a behavior or being punished if you're a parent you you do it every single damn day and you're exhausted from it 
Okay, and if you're training your dog right, you should be exhausted from it too because that's how much information you should be constantly giving your dog when you're in the training process. Okay, so another example is a little kid, right? Um, you know, I give this example all the time because it's the easiest thing for every person on this planet to understand because we can all relate to it. We were all little kids at one point, and I do hope at some point you were punished as a child because that's what makes a well-rounded human. Also reinforcement, okay? But the point is, at some point, you get a toy taken away. You get sent to your room. You would get something that, as a child, you wanted to avoid. You didn't want that toy taken away, so you worked to avoid getting that toy taken away. Therefore, I could say taking away that toy is a form of punishment, right? Like, we could all agree to that. And by threatening to take that toy away or taking the toy away as a form of punishment, it makes the child or me, I mean, I knew I, I didn't want my favorite toy taken away. It makes me want to not do that bad behavior that's getting that punishment applied to it, right? Is this kind of like state, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. But on the other side of the coin, if I'm being a really good kid, doing everything awesome, everything's great. Hey, you get some dessert tonight or you get extra dessert tonight or you get to stay up an hour past your bedtime. We're going to give, we're going to add something to help strengthen and reinforce that behavior. And then I'm more likely to go, well, hey, that was pretty cool. I like that. I got, I got, I got, I behaves well and I got double dessert. Can I do this again tomorrow night? Yes. Keep being good. All of a sudden the behavior is increasing. All right. So we have these examples to see what's happening. And I'm giving you like the little snippet of what's, what's starting to go on here. But let's, let's dive a little deeper. Guys, like I said, there's two ways that get us behavior with every animal on this planet. A behavior is either going to be reinforced, strengthened, and increased more likely to repeat itself, or it's going to be punished, weakened, and it's going to decrease and be less likely to repeat itself. An owl that's learning to fly, a little baby owl, a little owl that's still, you know, still got the little, some of the little down feathers still figuring out how to fly. We got most of the adult feathers coming in. We're going to try to fly. What happens? Shoo. Boop. They fall on the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to fly out of a nest and fall on the ground. Do you? No. So what ends up happening? Well, the owl either figures it out or um, gets eaten, dies, doesn't make it. I know. Oh, David, I didn't do that. That's Mother Nature, guys. <laughs> I didn't dictate this. This is how this stuff works. So the owl is either going to be reinforced and strengthened for flying and learning to fly and survival of the fittest, or it's not. And it's going to weaken and decrease and be punished for that behavior. David, it was instinct. It wasn't try. I know, but that's how it works. Punishment reinforcement. It's going on all the time, all around us. Right? So reinforcement strengthens and increases behavior. Punishment weakens and decreases behavior. So how do we start taking this and applying it to our dog? Let's get to it. You all already know the reinforcement side like really well, okay? Like, come on. Everybody's good at reinforcing behavior. We're all good at it. We're good at indulging ourselves too. Like, we're, well, let's see. I did half my work. I'm going to have a chocolate bar. You know, like, I, <laughs> come on. The things we convince ourselves, right? Um, we're really good at that. What we're not so good at is reinforcing the correct behaviors, the truly desirable behaviors that we're looking for. And especially this is the case when it comes to our dogs. So, what I'm really trying to hit home with today is understanding the difference between reinforcement and punishment and understanding how to utilize it for your dog. Okay, we're going to get a little deeper than that as we go, but okay. So simply put, guys, if your dog is doing a behavior you don't like, you have to give them a reason to stop doing that behavior or they're going to continue doing it. 
it really is that simple. I hear it so, look, oftentimes my job is just teaching somebody, I hate to say it, oftentimes my job is just teaching somebody to put a leash on a dog and make a correction and then reinforce the behavior when it stops. Because most people aren't willing to just put a leash on a dog and correct them or give them a touch correction or for that matter, just tell them no. (laughs) I'm serious. You would be shocked how many people, I I, I literally on a consultation, I'll go, have you ever told the dog no? And they go, well, yeah, I'll go, no. No, no, Fluffy, no. As if the dog understands. No, it needs to be a no. It needs to be a sharp. It needs to be a reason for them to go, mm, I don't want to do that again. I'm not saying be angry. I'm not saying be mean. I'm simply saying, let's let's look at the definition of punishment for a second. Because I know punishment is a very misunderstood word. It is it's a very misunderstood word. Here's the thing, guys. Punishment by definition doesn't have to actually be anything physical. Punishment by definition is anything an animal works to avoid right? There's certain people we work to avoid and there's a reason why you work to avoid them, right? So therefore, punishment, right? They're like, they're punishing you wanting to interact with them, okay? Because it's decreasing your want to interact with them, okay? The thing with punishment, anything an animal works to avoid, the thing with punishment is punishment is going to be different animal to animal, species to species, and individual to individual. So what I view as a form of punishment, you might not. Some repeat offenders that keep going back to prison clearly don't seem to want to avoid prison very much and they keep going back there. So therefore, prison's not really much of a form of punishment for certain people, unfortunately. Right? This is the same could be said for our dogs. I hear it a lot where, oh, David, the dog will jump on me and I've been told to just ignore the behavior. Guys, I've met dogs who will annoy the crap out of you for three hours straight and not stop whether you've turned your back to them or not because turning your back is not enough of a reason for them to want to avoid jumping all over you it's that so you see what i'm saying it's that simple it's not enough of a reason for them to want to work to avoid it so therefore what are they going to do keep jumping all over you because to them they're getting something out of it they keep they get something out of it otherwise they wouldn't keep doing it ah so let's talk about that reinforcement right The only reason any animal on this planet, you, me, I, dog, cat, bird, fish, the only reason any animal on this planet repeats a behavior is because they get reinforced for it. That's it. There it is. I said it. So if we don't spend time reinforcing behaviors and strengthening behaviors, they're going to be a lot less likely to repeat themselves. So while I sit here and I do talk about punishment, guys, it is equally, if not more important, to reinforce and strengthen behaviors you do like, and that's where a lot of people also miss out. Once I do teach them to punish, it's like, no, they tell the dog, no, the dog stops and they ignore the dog. It's like, no, guys, the dog stopped. Tell him good boy. Like Strengthen that. You have to look at your dog's behavior. Very simplistic. Ask yourself a question in any moment in time, any moment right now. Look at your dog and go, I don't care what they're doing. Just look at the dog right now. Look at your dog right now and go, are they doing something I like? I don't care what it is. If it's a behavior you like, may not be the right behavior, but if it's a behavior that you like, that you're looking at as a desired behavior, then you gotta look at your dog. For example, here we go. I tell you what, I'll take the camera, do a little tilt. There's Riker, look at him all curled up. He's got a blanket on him, he's tucked in. I mean, seriously, how freaking cute is my dog? But right now he's being good. He's laying asleep, being a good boy. He's probably still well, he actually is kind of asleep. So I don't wanna wake him up maybe, but I would say good boy, Riker. That's a good boy. I want to reinforce and strengthen that behavior of him being chill, relaxing, napping, and comfortable. 
David, so what? Your dog's napping. Don't say so what to that. That's the point right there. Don't be complacent to good behaviors, to great behaviors, to desired behaviors. If I, Look at your dog. Is your dog just laying there being a good boy? Tell him, good boy, and that's it, and move on. Good boy, move on. Find behaviors that you'll find desirable and strengthen and reinforce them. It's following the rules of psychology. And if we don't follow these rules, punishment and reinforcement, if we don't utilize both, we're going to be in trouble. (laughs) It's that simple. Ask yourself, people who give too much affection to their dogs, do they have a balanced relationship? Does their dog listen to them or does their dog have issues? I know the answer. You know the answer. People who give too much discipline, do they have a good relationship with their dogs? No, probably not. No, because guys, it's about balance. And the reality is it's more like, it's more like this. It's more like whatever the dog, it's kind of up to the dog at the end of the day, just as it's up to the child. I prefer to give children a choice. Kind of. They think I'm giving them a choice. (laughs) I don't give them a choice, but I give them a choice. Okay. And what I mean by this is it's just like being an adult in the adult world. You have a choice every day to either be a piece of crap or not. (laughs) There's no other way to say it. You have the choice every day when you wake up to either be a horrible, mean human being or not. And thank goodness, majority of us out there choose the latter. Choose not to be a jerk. But you have that option, don't you? And so to me, it's almost somewhat important to give a child the option not somewhat, it's important to give a child and a dog an option between consequence and reward. Which one do you want? All you got to do is stay within these guidelines. And that's what I teach my dogs. And that's what you should be teaching your dogs. Here's my rules. They're very, they're very basic. They're very black and white. Here's a boundary on the left. Here's a boundary on the right. You stay within them. It is love, affection, walks, playtime, swim time, just the best freaking life you could imagine as a dog. Go outside of it. Not going to be so great. You know, we're going we're gonna to have to work at it. Simple as that. It was the same as, you know, me as a child growing up. That's what my parents taught me. Here's the rule. Here's the rule. They made it very black and white. I think it was a little thinner, a little more narrow maybe than it should have been. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but they made it clear. I stay within these rules and guidelines and life's pretty damn good. And it was. I rarely ventured outside of those rules. You know why? A couple reasons. Number one, I had respect for my parents. I did. Truly did. Uh, as a child, I absolutely had respect for my parents. Um... And the second thing is my parents used reinforcement and punishment correctly. They found the correct balance to make me understand, dude, my parents love me and staying in here is love and amazingness. And I want to show that to my dog too. So anytime they stay within these boundaries, no matter if they're just laying on the bed back here being a good boy, I want to tell them, hey, good boy, good job. But if they go outside of it, we have to redirect or punish that behavior. So what does a punishment look like to a dog? The thing is, guys, punishments are different dog to dog because at the end of the day, what does the definition tell us? You have to want to work to avoid it. The animal has to want to work to avoid it, as I already you know, kind of said about this. An aversive or a punishment, an aversive is only an aversive if the animal works to avoid it. So punishments change moment to moment, scenario to scenario, and dog to dog. Okay, look, occasionally, let's say uh, I've got a doggy day camp dog and it's new. And it is just like in sensory overload. We've got a lot of dogs here and it's just, it's, it's going in circles. It's bouncing off the couches. It's acting like a lunatic. Things that are not allowed in my home. Sorry, that's a rule in my house. You can't just bounce off the furniture and act like a lunatic in my house as a dog. Doesn't fly here. Doesn't fly, right? 
So what do we do? How do you punish that? Well, let's think about it. In that moment, the dog wants to be out with all the other dogs and romp around and go crazy. So simply leashing that dog up and putting him in a timeout is a punishment. Another easy way to look at punishment is a punishment is the opposite of what the animal wants, right? Anything they work to avoid the opposite of what they want, that's that's the same, kind of one and the same when you think about it. So if my dog, if this crazy dog wants to act crazy, simply not letting them by leashing them up is a form of punishment. Doesn't have to be crazy, doesn't have to be physical, doesn't have to be horrible. Well, it is a little bit, actually it is physical. I'm not going to lie. Leashing up is a physical action. It's a physical restraint. It is a form of physical punishment. But am I actually doing anything? Am I correcting them? Am I using them? No, I don't have to. Might need a few redirections, sure, but may not even have to correct them in that moment. Now, there's nothing wrong with healthy collar corrections, but we're not going to get too much into that today. But for this sole intent and purpose, I'm going to leash the dog up. And if they calm down for a minute or two on the leash, I'm going to unleash them again. They start acting like a lunatic again. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to leash them up again. What's happening here, guys, is we're actually reinforcing and punishing a behavior. Act like a lunatic, lose your freedom. Stop acting like a lunatic, you get your freedom back. Reinforcement. Act like a lunatic, lose your freedom. And before you know it, the dog's going to go, every time I act like an idiot, (laughs) this guy leashes me up and I don't get to have fun anymore. But then I calm down and he lets me off. I stay calm and I'm still off the leash. Wait a second. Dot's connecting. Stay calm, don't act like a lunatic. You keep your freedom and get to play with your friends. Act like a lunatic. You lose your freedom and don't get to play with your friends. The punishment is dependent upon the scenario in this, right? Think about it. It is. It's dependent upon the dog's motivation in that moment. What does the dog want? They want to be out with their buddies. So by taking that away, that's a form of punishment because they work to avoid getting their freedom taken away in that moment. I know it gets a little tricky. It does. But really, I want you to keep it simplistic. If your dog is doing something you don't like, then you have to go, okay, in this moment, what is a form of punishment to the dog? It might be a collar correction. It might be ignoring them. Usually that doesn't work. Uh, (laughs) It might be giving them a little bit of a timeout and a crate or leashed up. It can be a variety of things because all it needs to do is fit that definition. Anything they work to avoid. And then once I do this three, four, five times, this, this leash up, let go, leash up, let go. All of a sudden I'm going to see, oh, oh. He's not acting like a lunatic anymore. That behavior is doing what? (gasps) Decreasing. The punishment's working. This is the one thing I love about my job. It is so easy to see if you're doing things correctly because the dog will show you. And then once you do things correctly, you start reinforcing it. And all of a sudden, that behavior strengthened. All of a sudden, that dog wants to repeat that good behavior. And all of a sudden, the bad behavior disappears. This is how this stuff works, guys. We're keeping it simple today. I'm not going off the deep end. We're not talking about positive and negative reinforcement today. We're only talking about the positive. We really kind of left it at reinforcement. We did talk about negative reinforcement. We just didn't define it, if you will, because it's always happening. Let's not forget, guys, and we're not gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surface level this real quick because I just want to make the distinction. A punishment, here's the distinction disclaimer, listen up. A punishment is not negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is something completely different because why? It has the word reinforcement on it. Here's the thing, guys. We have positive reinforcement, right? And we have negative reinforcement. Those are both forms of reinforcement and both of them, positive and negative, both of them are going to increase behavior. You heard me because over here on the other side of the coin, we have punishment. Now we have positive punishment and negative punishment. You heard me correctly. There's the distinction. Guys, when we're talking about science, 
Positive and negative do not mean good and bad. They do not mean anything emotional. They do not have emotional connotations to them. They simply mean addition, subtraction, adding and removal, okay? Positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus to increase a targeted behavior. Negative reinforcement is the removal of a stimulus to increase a targeted behavior. Positive punishment is the addition of a stimulus in order to decrease a targeted behavior. And negative punishment is the removal of a stimulus in order to decrease a uh, targeted behavior. Mouthful. If you really want to dive into this stuff deeper, because I'm not going any further than that today. <laughs> if you want to dive into this stuff deeper, I highly recommend you check out all my past segments on dog psychology, dog psych 101. Um, amazing segments because it's chocked full of all kinds of amazing information. I know the really surface, the surface level stuff is very important. It's important that you basically understand reinforcement, punishment. That's what I wanted to hone in on today. But if you love this stuff like I do, you want to take a deeper dive into it, check out all my other segments, guys. A lot of great info in there. And for that matter, do your own reading and research. You'll discover positive and negative don't mean good and bad in psychology. <laughs> but again, guys, I just want to reiterate, make sure you understand the difference between reinforcement and punishment and understand that it requires a nice balance, almost a nice little dance, if you will, uh, to get this where it needs to be to create good, solid, consistent desired behaviors in your dog. So get out there, learn the basics, practice the basics, and you will have a better, tra better trained dog in no time. on Speaking Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about Virginia Tech, formerly known as Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, now known as Virginia Tech. The school was founded in 1872 in Blacksburg, Virginia. A member of the Atlantic Coast Conference, the school is represented by something you might have heard of, but may not actually know what it is. <laughs> Virginia Tech, they are the Hokies. And to understand what a Hokie is, you kind of first have to understand the history of the mascot. Now, technically the school actually operates under two names, the Hokies and the original name given to the school, the Gobblers. <laughs> now the name started being used around the turn of the century and there are a few interpretations of where the name came from. Now, there was a Thanksgiving Day football game against North Carolina, and when Virginia Tech won, the students declared that the team took the turkey, right? And now another possibility, right? Gobbler's turkey, okay. Another possibility has to do with the eating habits of the football team, whatever the story might be in the late 1970s. Then football coach Bill Dooley, he didn't like the gobbler image being attached to his football team gobbling down food. <laughs> so he attempted to do away with any association with it and focused on the team being referred, well, to the Hokies instead. Now, the Hokie reference had actually been used by the school since the late 1890s. Now, because there was a cheer, right? There was a cheer. And this cheer was said, Hokie, 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 high techs. That was a part of the cheer. Now, the word Hokie, of course, it had no meaning. It was just something that kind of stuck with the cheer and the, the, the students really rolled with it. So it was intertwined with the mascots over the years, and finally there was a development of the Hokie Bird mascot. Yes. Now, even in the 1920s and 1930s, there were actually live turkeys for a little while used as mascots, uh, while still retaining references to being called the Hokies. So again, gobblers, Hokies, it started becoming intertwined well before the 1970s. Now, the Hokie Bird mascot was actually created in 1981 and has maintained its current, current appearance since 1987. So the Hokie Bird, it's not a real bird. 
It is meant to be a turkey, but it is the school's version of a turkey, the Hokie Bird. Now, like many universities, the person adorning the Hokie Bird costume remains a mystery until graduation. Now, I actually, I really love this. The seniors only reveal their true Hokie Bird status at graduation, where they wear the Hokie Bird feet for the commencement ceremony. <laughs> It's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Frank from Carrollton, Texas. Frank says, I caress my dog often while I'm watching TV. However, when she hears a noise from outside the front door, she shifts her focus onto that, which causes her to sometimes growl. What can I do to get her to ignore all the noises coming from outside? Currently, I immediately stop caressing her and then she looks at me, possibly wondering why'd you stop? (laughs) And then I continue when she stops focusing on the front door. Is this okay or what is a better way? Frank, great question. Appreciate the question. Um, yeah, you know, you, look, you're, you're on the right track. You really are. You're on the right track here. You're doing the right thing. Um, it, you can kind of, like, if it's just, if it's a growl and it's not like a full-blown bark and obviously, you're, you know, you told me she's not jumping off the couch, anything like that, I would kind of try to keep going the route you're going. Don't make it too big of a deal. You don't want to make it a big deal and you're doing that. I love it because you just stop petting her. That's perfect. Um you could take it up a notch with some treats, maybe, you know, I, depending upon your setup, if you can keep them on like a table or a counter or something nearby, if you want to keep a treat pouch strapped to you, that's cool too. Um, you know, that's sometimes me at my house, um, but keep the pouch on you, keep a treat near you and then stop petting her. And then if anything, maybe just kind of lightly redirect it with like a little, get her to look at you and then reinforce it. Don't make a big deal. Not a good girl. Nothing crazy. Just a little treat and be done. One treat. Stop. See what happens. She might go back to the front door after that, you know, focus in, whatever, but then she ignores it, start petting her again. I kind of want to try the treat just a one-time thing right after um, she stops, redirect, reward that she's redirected off of it and looked at you, and then see what happens, right? Again, she ignores the door, go right back to petting, be done with the treats, there we go, okay? The route I really want you to take is to try to increase the amount of uh, reinforcement once she does stop. And now, and I'm going to talk about when she does stop. We'll come back. We'll we'll circle back to that in a second. Uh, But I want to increase the amount of reinforcement once she does give up on it. Um, That way, she's getting more for it, and she's more likely to want to not want to growl in the future. Okay. Now, circling back. When she does stop growling, what I'm ideally looking for is for her to give up on the door. If she's still kind of like looking at the door, you know what I mean? Still kind of interested. I don't want to reward that. I may redirect it, get her to look at me, hold the focus for like 10 seconds, see if I can keep it for 10 seconds. And if she holds it, then reward it. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily want to be rewarding right after her looking at the door, turn, get a treat. Aha. I don't want to associate it's looking at the door that gets the food. I want it to be looking up at you, relaxing. Ignoring the door, that's why it's got to be like 10 seconds of keeping that focus. So I just kind of want to make that little distinction. If I don't want to reward her focusing on the door, I want her to reward her giving up on the door and focusing on you instead. Okay, so uh, try the treat. See what happens. Um, if you feel like it maybe is accelerating it, take the treat away and go back to what you were doing. This is where sometimes you got to experiment with training a little bit. Take up the reinforcement, see if it helps. Hopefully it does. Usually it does. Sometimes it might go back. No big deal. We go back to the old way. Okay, so play with it a little bit, see what happens, and uh, let me know how it goes. Next question. This comes from Mika from Miami, Florida. Mika says, my dog does not like cars going by. 
I just rescued her about a month ago and the rescue warned me about the behavior. They were nice enough to give two free training sessions with the trainer that they use, but I don't really know that it's helping. Any tips would be great. Okay, Mika, thank you for the question. First thing I'm going to tell you right here is I'm just going to say two sessions is maybe enough to see some progress, but something like that where maybe they're going after the cars, I'm guessing it means like on leash, uh, your dog's probably going after the cars. Two sessions may not be enough time. You know, I know it's the free sessions. I get it. Like you want the free sessions, you know, pay more. I understand. Uh, But sometimes this can take a little time. So if you haven't used both sessions yet, what I would recommend is if, if, if you feel, if you've only done one session, Try to continue doing what the trainer told you to do for a couple weeks. Again, could be wrong information. I could be off base here. I don't know because I don't know what they told you. Um, but try to get, try to practice with the information they gave you for like two weeks. If you really feel like you're not seeing any progress in two weeks, bring the trainer back and try to work through it, see what happens, and then give it another two to three weeks after that second session. The point is, I don't want you to rush into immediately thinking it may not be helping because it may just need some time. Something like going after a car tends to be a little more of a severe behavior that requires a little more patience and a little more work. Um, Now, maybe this trainer's crap. (laughs) You know, maybe they are. Um, And if that's the case, then, hey, you know, look, the thing you really need to do is you got to redirect the focus, okay? Look, the first thing I'm going to tell you is I always, 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 this is always my starting block. It may not be the end-all, be-all, but my kissing always exercise, redirecting, redirecting focus to your dog. And this again, sorry, I uh, should mention before you ever go for the walk, you're in the house, no distractions, no cars going by. You want to start with the kissing noise exercise. You kiss, treat up to the chin, get the eye contact and lock it, hold it for a few seconds. Good boy. Uh, is it a good boy? I don't even know. My dog does not like ours. No, it doesn't say boy, girl. Okay. Uh, lock the eye contact, good boy, good girl, and then reward. The whole point is I want to take that treat, use the scent of it, to bring the focus up to make eye contact and reward it. Treat up to the chin, eye contact, reward it. Kissing always treat up to the chin, eye contact. Okay, and the whole idea is if you do this enough times, you repeat it enough at the house, take it outside, you can try to redirect your dog away from the cars. Look, it may take corrections. I mean, I'm just being honest. You may need to correct this behavior with a proper collar and making a proper correction. Again, I want you to do it right, so hopefully this trainer is giving you the proper advice. My recommendation would be a martingale collar. Start there if you're not using one already. If you're using a harness, get rid of it. It's never going to work. You're never going to redirect your dog's focus away from these cars in a harness. I'm just telling you now. Um, so, uh, look, I, I can't just exactly tell you how to make these corrections, to be honest, because it really depends. It depends on the scenario, the situation, and what's really happening in that moment. So, again, try to wait it out a little more. Try to practice a few more weeks of what this trainer, the information they're giving you. Really try to hone in. Really try to practice every day. If you really feel like in a few weeks you're not getting anywhere, then, yeah, maybe you need to hire somebody else or um, – or, or try something different, right? So um, I kind of hope that helps. But again, without seeing it, I can only really give you so much info. But good luck to you, Mika, and I hope that helps out. Let me know how it goes. The answer to today's trivia question, what types of animals are Timon and Pumbaa from Disney's The Lion King? They're a meerkat and a warthog. Yes, Timon's the meerkat, and Pumbaa, he's the warthog. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at Dogcast and join me there every Tuesday for Training Tip Tuesdays. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash Dogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll down, give me that five-star rating or leave me a review. I want to thank my patrons, my pups, support of Regula Wright and my dog friend Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.